Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. We've been in a series now for several weeks on supernatural acceleration. <clears throat> Last week we looked at the spirit of acceleration. Um, as I was studying, preparing over the last couple of weeks and looking at where the Lord was taking us in this, I uh, felt strongly impressed that, um, that we need to look at the church, the acceleration, the spiritual work that goes on in the church, what God wants to do in His church. And as I moved deeper and deeper into this, uh, it began to grow and grow and grow inside of me to where as I move in this direction, then it's going to take me two more weeks to build on this today. Because I want us to look at the church today. The, what is the church all about? What is the church all about? It's a, today, we're, the church is all about His presence. The church is all about family. And the church is all about kingdom. And we're going to look at the first one today. That's where we need to start. The church. And uh, what's it all about? What's it all about? Just after losing a Super Bowl, uh, Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers, rallied his team, began to talk to them about the plans for the future, of how they could get back to this championship game again. And he said, boys, we're going back to the basics. And then he held up the oblong leather ball and said slowly, gentlemen, this is a football. And so today I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, this is the church. Let's get back to some basics to understand what the church is all about, because I think this is important for us to know, especially in our culture. Our culture here in the West, United States, uh, a, a lot of this is, uh, has been changed through cultural shifts and through our past experiences. So being a good Southern boy, let me first of all look at what the church ain't. <laughs> what the church is not. Church is not an organization, although there needs to be some structure in an organization. The church is not a club. The church is not a carnival. It's not a concert. It's not a performance. The church is not a service or a special time of meeting. The church is not another religion. The building is not the church. I've been saying this ever since Covenant Life's been meeting together some 20 some odd years. The church is not a building. The church is you and me. Now, unfortunately in our, in our society, oftentimes church is, is built around the consumer mentality. We call them a consumer driven church. And by consumer driven church, what we mean is, is we have we have adapted in our culture and it has become something that we see over and over again of how when people search for a local congregation or somewhere to connect, here's one of their first questions. What do you have to offer? What do you have to offer? I, I understand what they mean by that. 
They want to know what, what's going on there and how can I connect. I understand that. So it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing they're asking that question. But that's become the focus and the mentality of so many people today. When they're looking for a place to connect, they want to know, what can you do for me? And when you stay in the New Testament church, it's not about that at all. It's looking at what God has done for us and then out of that, what we can do for him and to bless one another. So when you connect with the congregation, you need to say, God, do you want me in this place? And why do you want me in this place? How can I serve? What can I do? And when we get, begin to get this uh, inside of us, it changes our whole outlook. But today, people just go to and fro to different congregations for different reasons. And there are times to move from one place to another, legitimate times. But so often today, people are drawn by what's the newest thing? What's the newest church around? What's the, what's the, what, which one has the most spectacular music program? Which one uh, makes the biggest boom, so to speak? And, and, and I'm not degrading churches that do wonderful things. I, this church does wonderful things. You, God's blessing, do wonderful things. But so often, people are drawn to these things. And what we see in this is that the church... There, there are different paradigms when it comes to the church. And by paradigm, we simply means there are different church patterns or models that we can see. And we find that, that when we look at the church, that in, in looking at these different models, we, we see so many different things. And I, and I think we need to just take a moment and look at that. We see churches that are personality driven, they're driven by one person. If that person, something happens to him, I don't know what's going to happen. It's driven by some person that has charisma and everyone's drawn to that person. It's good to have leadership. It's good to have talent and gifts in the ministry. But there are some churches that are just built around a personality. Then there are churches that are past driven. These are the folks that have the little saying, well, we don't do it that way. We never have done it that way. And I got something to add to that. They, never, they always do it that way. They're past driven. Then there are churches that are policy driven. In other words, it's a denomination or a particular organization and they're governed by a particular policy. They live and die by that. Then there are churches that are program driven. The churches that has the most programs will be the, first, will be the best church. The church that offers so many different things to different people that's what drives that church. What can we do? What, more, what, what are more programs we can have to reach people? Then there, of course, in recent years, has been the purpose-driven church. This was made famous by the book and by the studies uh, that came through Pastor Rick Warren. There's tremendous things that came through that where we, in that, so what you did was you took your attention off uh, of what you're doing. The church is not about what you're doing. It's about what God wants to do. It's not about ideas. It's about His plan. It's about knowing his purpose and then discovering what your purpose is in that. It's a purpose-driven church. It's a, there's some good things in that. But regardless of what model, what pattern, what style, what program you use, it's all empty without his presence. Church is all about his presence. Now the first mention of church in the scripture is in Matthew, in New Testament, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And these are the words of Jesus. He's speaking to Peter and some of the other disciples. And he says, Jesus says, And I say unto you that you're Peter, speaking to Peter. Of course, Peter, his name meant rock. 
So many people think that when he's saying upon this rock, he's saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. That's what Roman Catholicism says. Roman Catholicism says Peter's the first pope and Jesus said the church will be built on him. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, upon, when it says, upon this rock I'll build my church, it goes back to the preceding verse or verses where Peter made the profession and he said, you are Christ, Jesus. You are Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock, upon Jesus Christ as the foundation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the builder of the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. Now when you see this first mention of church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it is the Greek word ecclesia. And it can be spelled E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A or it can be spelled with C's. And it's where we get our word uh, ecclesiology. And that's the study of the church theologically. And what does ecclesia mean? Well, it's mentioned 80 times in the New Testament, so it must be important. The word ecclesia means called out, literally means called out. It, people, a group of people that are called out, an assembly. Uh, the Greeks of that day understood exactly what was meant by ecclesia. And because that's what they called their assembly when they would gather the citizens, the men of that area, into a meeting for governmental purposes or to discuss legal matters, it was an ecclesia. And so Jesus, in using that term, they knew what he meant, that this is an assembly, that the church is an assembly. The church is a gathering of people, and, and they're called out. And when you're called out from something, that means you're no longer that, you're called out to something else, right? And so we are called out from, well, from darkness to light, from death to life. We're called out. And I heard someone say, if the church wants to make a difference in the world, then the church must be different in the world. We're called out. Now, that doesn't mean holier, holier than thou and all the religious trappings that go with it. But we're to be different. We're to be different. If the church wants to make a difference in the world, the church must be different in the world. We don't go to church. We are the church. Let me share with you a couple things that, that I believe express kind of a definition of the church. And I just want to, going over this for years and years and years and years, and this is what it's come down to, is that the church is made up of followers of Christ who are miraculously changed by the new birth and together become a community of faith to proclaim the gospel in word and example in order to demonstrate and advance the kingdom of God on earth. That's who we are. An assembly of believers who have repented and trusted in Christ. We are a body of believers called out by God, adopted into his family, participating in and advancing the kingdom of God. Powerful, powerful. We're called out to that. The church is referred to as the body of Christ with Jesus being the head and with there being many members, which is talking about you and I. We become a part of that body or a part of that church as defined or as told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. The Amplified Bible says, For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized. Not talking about water baptism there. We are all immersed into, we're brought into. Now it's important to be baptized in water after you come to Christ. 
But that's not what this is referring to here. For by one Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, spiritually transformed and united together, whether Jews or Greeks, Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, since the same Spirit fills each one of us. So when you came to Christ, something supernatural happened. When you genuinely surrendered your heart and life and said, God, I've sinned. Jesus, I believe you paid the price on the cross for me. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need you. And when you call out to him and invite him to come into your life, surrender your life to him, something supernatural happens. Something amazing happens. You are changed. You become a new person. And you are joined to a body. You become a member of a body. This group of people, you are a body. There are many members here. You all have different gifts and different responsibilities and opportunities. Always remember he's the head, though. But you don't become a part of the church just because you walk down the aisle and sign a role or, or a covenant with a church. You aren't part of the church just because you attend on Sunday morning. You aren't part of the church because you're a good person. You aren't part of the church because you were brought up in a Christian home. You're part of the church when you come to know Christ and supernaturally you're joined to his body. That's the only way. The only way. And it's available to each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. The church is empty and meaningless without his presence. So today we look about the church is all about him. It's about his presence. It's about experiencing him. So I want us to look at this together. We're going to look at some interesting verse in just a bit. When we look at the church as being all about Him and His presence, you see, without His presence, without the Holy Spirit, without His presence, we're like a sailboat that's blown about by every new program, every new teaching, every new idea. Taken here and there, but we want to follow His lead, be moved by the Spirit. And without His presence, without the Holy Spirit, so often, we're simply going nowhere. We're just in the midst of activity and nothing really happening. What is there that makes the church different? It's His presence. It's God's presence. Psalms chapter, Psalm chapter 66, verse 11. Psalm 66, verse 11 says, In His presence is fullness of joy. More than anything else. Nothing else, nothing else can bring that. In his fullness, is, in his presence, is the fullness of joy. Nothing changes. I, nothing changes you so much than to, as you're going through different experiences in your life to experience the Lord's presence in the midst of that. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 the Bible says that the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. You know that's true. You ever get tired? You ever become weary? You know? Even as a Christian, sometimes things can begin to kind of weigh on you. You're busy here and there, all kinds of stuff going on. 
And then I heard people say, well, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really come, I don't even like to use the term, I didn't, when they say, I really didn't come to church, I hate that term, I hate it. But is it important for us to come together? The writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling, the coming together of yourselves, as some people do. But look at it as more important, more and more and more and more as the day of His coming approaches. There are times when you need a day of rest, even if it's on Sunday and you're sick and you've got things going on that just sometimes you don't make. I understand that. understand that. But I've heard so many times and I've seen it in my own life, there were times when I could just very easily let my particular circumstance or how I felt talk me out of coming to be with other believers and be in worship. And so I said, I just really need to be at home today. I need that time. I need that rest. No. So many times that's not what we need. We are disconnecting from exactly what we do need. It is in His presence that there's fullness of joy. And times of refreshing come when you're in His presence. I've been a Christian for so many years and pastoring. Fifty years or more. Hard to believe. And you know, a lot of my experience growing up, and even after that, and even after I became a pastor, and I was in church gatherings, I was tighter when I left than I was when I got there. And sometimes more depressed when I left than I was when I got there. It's not supposed to be that way. There's something through the regenerating and through the generating of the power of the Holy Spirit in His presence that when we gather together in truth, in His Spirit, in truth, when we worship in Spirit and truth, there's something that happens. There is a, a, something that goes on that can bring refreshing to us, renewal. And so many times we'll just stay away. No, I just, you know, I just think I'll take this Sunday off. It's not about your name being on a roll or attending every church service. It's about something being established inside of us that says, I want to be with the people of God. I want to be in worship. I want to be in this place where I can experience His presence. You can experience His presence at home, at work, wherever, understand. But there's something about when the church comes together. And God designed it that way on purpose. Yes, amen. In the early church, the book of Acts, my, the presence of God was so real, the place would even be shaken. It changed people drastically. Over the years, we've seen particular times where there was this tremendous manifestation of the power and the presence of God. And even in these days in which we live, we see it. The presence of God is what we need. We'll say, hey, Pastor, the presence. So God, well, He's present everywhere, isn't He? Yes, He is. It's one of the attributes of God. We call it omnipresent. He is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. But He's also present in you as a believer. He's present in you. But there are times when He manifests or demonstrates His presence in particular ways. 
You see it, you feel it, you experience it. That we call manifested presence. So see, basically there's three. There's, there is omnipresence, there is inner presence, and there is the manifested presence. The presence of God is what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you're going to go with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to take just a few moments here to look at some, I think, I think some things that are just extremely important for us today. Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, beginning with uh, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Now seraphims, basically what we mean by that is angels. Particular kind of angels, spirit beings. Seraphim is plural, seraphim is singular, but saw seraphim angels, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he covered with two he uh, covered his face, and two he covered, his, and he covered his feet. And one cried to the author, and, uh, to another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah was a prophet from the southern part of Judah. And one day he goes in the temple, and in the temple he experiences the presence of God. He sees the Lord. His spiritual eyes are open. He has a different understanding of God. Now it's important for us to see that this was an amazing thing. But it's important for us to see the time frame here of when this took place. Because the verse says, in the year King Uzziah died. It points this out. That was about 740 B.C. But in that year something happened. Now Uzziah, we don't hear about King Uzziah very much as we do some other kings in, uh, in the Old Testament. King Uzziah was a great king. He became king, get this, when he was 16 years old. And was king for 52 years. There are many sources that I've seen that believe that he was a first cousin of Isaiah. Interesting. But Uzziah was popular. He was powerful. He re-implemented worship in Israel. He strengthened the wall around Jerusalem. He conquered many of the Philistine cities and the Amorites and the Edomites. He built a strong army. The Israeli army had an elite force of over 300,000 men. He helped create new weapons and armor. Even some people believe the catapult began right then at that particular time. Under King Uzziah, there was a great economic growth and development. The Bible says that God helped Uzziah. He gave, it, gave wisdom. Gave him wisdom. But then... He died. His death was kind of like a perfect storm. We may compare it to, it was like a time of crisis, like the bombing at Pearl Harbor, or like the attack on the Twin Towers. 
it was that perfect storm of something dramatic and a very extremely critical situation. The year that King Uzziah died is very important. Because you see, all the enemies that surrounded Israel were threatening to invade them. Now they had not invaded, you know the reason they had not invaded Israel? Because Israel had a strong leader. And they were afraid, as long as Uzziah was there, they were afraid to come against Israel. But then Uzziah died. So the times were uncertain. The whole nation was threatened and afraid. And the question then was, well, what do we do now? What now? We're in a mess. There's danger. We've got troubles ahead of us. I don't know what we're going to do. What do we do next? Well, Isaiah had the right idea. When you're facing things like this, here's what you do next. You go to God. He went to the temple. It says that Isaiah went to the temple for worship. That's what makes the difference. He turned to the Lord. He came to God and worship. And what happened in what we just read? It says, I came to the temple and it says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Now we don't know exactly what image that was. We don't know exactly how that appeared or if it was more of a, a spiritual experience he had. If he saw some type of form. We don't really know. It's not spelled out. But he had an encounter with God. He had a new revelation of God. He says, I saw the Lord. And this is what God was like. I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. And his train, clothing, filled the entire temple. And there were angels there that were crying, holy, holy, holy. What an astounding sight that must have been. As he was there in worship, he saw that God is exalted. He saw, he saw that even though the king with the big K had died, that with the little K had died, the king with the big K was still alive. He lost that king, but the real king is still alive. So... He has this dramatic experience and he sees the greatness of God. The first thing he sees is just how big God is. How awesome. How awesome. The angels cried, holy, holy, holy. You know, uh, did you know that that attribute of God is the only one in the scripture that's that is, when it's used, is used many times in triplets, threes. You don't hear love, love, love of God, faithful, faithfulness, faithfulness of God, grace, grace, grace of God, but you hear holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So, and, and, and when you go back and study that, that, it's kind of simplistic, but say, why did the angels say holy, holy, holy? Because Why did they say it three times? Because one wasn't enough. Because of the holiness and greatness of God. And holy means set apart. God is set apart from everything in a sense that He is almighty. He is great. I tell you what, when you're facing trouble, what you need to remember is just how big your God is. So he had this new revelation that was made real to him. His spiritual eyes were open in a new way. And you know, we need that at times. We really need fresh, new revelations of the Lord and of His greatness, of His power to be reminded 
of how he's available to work in our lives. And you can experience that at home. You can experience it while you're studying the word. You can experience it in prayer. You can experience it in worship alone. But one of the places where it's manifested in such a real way is when his people, when the followers of Christ come together in one place and the manifested presence is there, then we should get a new, fresh, powerful revelation of the greatness of God. Every time we come together on Sunday morning, wouldn't it be wonderful that every person here gets a fresh, new, powerful revelation of how great God is? Because then you don't have to be afraid of anything. Then it doesn't matter how big your problems are. He's bigger. The first thing he saw was just how big God is. But he also, not only did he see the Lord, when he said, I saw the Lord, but he also sees himself. He also sees himself. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5. So I said, actually has this amazing experience. He says, so I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the commander-in-chief. You know, the real commander-in-chief. The Lord of hosts, heaven's armies. Nothing like coming into the presence of God here for Isaiah to realize just how small he was and just how great his need was. And that's what happens. If you get a clear vision, a revelation of God, you look upward to him, but then something happens. You look inward and see yourself. And so often when we do that, the Lord graciously points out some things in our life that need to change. Something that needs to happen. Something needs to happen. God never shows us our sins to make us bad. He shows them to help us get out of them and be set free. And that's what happened with Isaiah here. That's what happened with Isaiah. Sometimes you and I just need to see ourselves as we really are because, some, because oftentimes we live, uh, we live in a life to where we pretend or we, our existence is so colored by, by what people say about us or by uh, our own experiences that we don't really understand who we really are who we are, really are as needy, but also who we are when we come to Him. Because you're nothing without Him, but when you surrender to Him, all things are possible through Him. Helps you see yourself before you give Him control of your life and see yourself after you do. There are times when we need to really get a good understanding of who we are in there. We do. I remember the story is told of a of a man who had a carpet cleaning business and, and, uh, and he was always hiring new people to help him. And so he hired uh, this young man to help him and he, he took him to the, to the job there to clean the carpet and he left him there with instructions and with all the equipment there and then he went on to take care of other responsibilities and other work. Well, in, in a little while, he came back to check on the man, see how he was, young man, see how he was doing. When, and when he arrived, he saw the young man was, was getting all the equipment wrapped up and ready and cleaned up and loading it up in the, in, in the truck. And he knew he really hadn't had time to, to do the job. So he came in and he said, 
He said, what's going on? He says, well, I've cleaned, I've, I've cleaned, I'm, I'm done. I've cleaned the carpet, I'm done. So the, the man who owned the company there is walking by and he sees some of the really bad, the dirty places in the carpet and he notices them and he calls the young man over to himself and he, and he, and he positions that man right in front of where the dirtiest spot is in the carpet. And he, the man says, the owner of the company says to the young man, Look down. The young man did. He looked down. He said, now look up. Look at me. He said, what did you see? Dirt. Dirt. He said, good, I'm glad you see it. Because a lot of the people that work for me could never see it. But if you can see it, I can work with you. Because if you can see it, then you realize our job is to take care of it. And what a great picture that is to us. In the sense that when we encounter God like Isaiah did, and we come before him, and we see him, we see ourselves, we look down and see the dirt or the things in our life that don't belong there, our sin or disobedience, other things so it's like when the Lord shows us where our sins, where our needs are, He says, look down. And we see who we are without Him. And then He says, now look up to me. And when we look up to Him, He says, now I can work with that. Because I came to take care of that problem. The problem is not so much a sin as a problem when we don't really recognize or admit those things are going on in our life. You know, you can't grow unless you can recognize areas where you need to grow. You cannot change if you think everything is already the way it should be. So much of the problem in the church today is, is, is that there, there are so many people that are living as Christian lives, but there are heirs in their life that are so contrary to what God wants and what they need, needs to be going on in their life. There's stuff they're allowing in their life, and there's, they pretend that they can't see it. They live as if they can't see it. It doesn't matter how many times you talk to them or try to encourage or help them to see it, they can't see it. You can't help those folks. The only way they'll ever be helped is when they see their own need, see where they are in their relationship with God. That's what happened to Isaiah. He looked down and he saw, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have sinned against you, God. What am I going to do? Well, then you come to the third place. Not only did we... <clears throat> see how big what God was, the grace, but he also saw uh, how small he was. He saw himself. And the third thing, he sees the grace of God. He sees the grace of God. He says just the goodness, how good God is. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, after Isaiah sees himself as he really is, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which had, he had taken from the tongs of the altar in the temple. And he touched my lips with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Now the word purged is, uh, is translated in many places uh, in the Bible. Not only uh, the word purged used, but also the word atonement. You're, it's taken away your sins. Your sins have been atoned for. Atoned, covered. But also we see in the word atonement, it gives us a great significance about its meaning when you... When you uh, 
uh, take that word and you, you separate it into uh, syllables, then you see that, that atonement is at one mint. So the word mint is, uh, literally means state of being or being one with. So when you look at the word atonement, it is actually saying that through what God has done for us, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, he has made us one with him. We are now one with him. Now, when we have this kind of spirit, it changes us, it changes us forever. His presence changes us. I heard an account of, a, of another pastor. It happened several years ago in Texas. And as he tells the story, he says, one Sunday morning there's a worship service and they had like an invitation, opportunity for people to respond. And uh, at the end they said, anyone here, any visitors here that want to be saved, want to come to Christ today can come. And this young woman who happened to be in church that day came forward and she was saved. She came to Christ. And she went back home and she was living with this guy. He was played in a rock band. She was living when they weren't married. She was living with this guy. And when she went back home from church, she went back home that day and she said, uh, she began to pack up her things and she says, I'm moving. I'm moving out. And he said, what do you mean you're moving out? He says, I'm moving out. I can't live with you here now because we're not married yet. Now, no one told her that. No one shared scripture with her about this, but after she was genuinely saved, something changed in her, and when she went back to that situation, she said, I can't do this. She had experienced the presence of God. The presence of God to show you things. I, I can't. So he said, uh, he, she said, I got saved. And so he, he said, uh, how did that happen? He said, well, I went to church. And the preacher there said, if there are any visitors here that, that need to be saved, come forward. And said, I knew I need to be saved, so I came forward and I was saved. He said, well, I'd like to be saved too. She said, well, okay, that's good. Here's what's what so American for many of us, a church experience. She said, okay, you need to go to church next Sunday. Now, you know, she didn't, that was how she got saved, so she thought that was the way you got saved. Not realizing that you can be saved anytime, right now, anytime, in your home, wherever you are when you come to Christ. What you need to do is go to church next Sunday. And when the pastor stands up there and he says that the, the visitors, when he talks and announces about the visitors, he says, you need to go forward and get saved. He says, okay, I'll do it. So the next Sunday, sure enough, he's there. And the young woman is sitting beside him in worship service. And he's waiting, he's waiting, waiting during part of the service there. And as he's waiting, he, he begins to get sick. I mean, he gets deathly sick. He's afraid he's going to throw up. And he leans over to the young woman next to him and says, I'm sick, I'm afraid I'm going to throw up on that woman sitting in front of us. I'm afraid. She says, it's all right, it's just the devil will go away. Been saved one week. But she knew it would go away. So the pastor, early in the part of the worship service, the pastor got up to welcome everyone that was there. And he said, we want to welcome all of our visitors. Well, that guy heard the word visitor. 
And he came down to the altar and he came up to the pastor who was making announcements there and he said, I'm a visitor. He, pastor said, oh, oh, okay, all right. Well, good. He said, well, I'm a visitor. And he said, well, we're glad to have, no, I'm a visitor so I came here to be saved. You see, they thought all the other people in church were saved. Only the visitors need to be saved. That's what it's supposed to be. Everyone that's been here for a while need to know that you have been saved. Did you know people sit in a congregation all their life and not be saved? It happens. He came, he said, I'm a visitor, I'm here to be saved. So the pastor said, the congregation says, if y'all just be patient for just a moment. The pastor went down, prayed for the guy, and the guy got saved that day. And it remarkably changed that young couple. They got married. It changed their life forever. You know what changed them? In an atmosphere of worship, when the church came together, called out, assembled themselves together, in an atmosphere of worship and honoring God, God manifested himself in such a powerful way that he miraculously changed that life. You know, that's how he is. When we have a real encounter with him, he changes us. Ask a question. How big is your God? How well do you know him? How much are you like him? When we gather together in worship here on Sundays, we should experience his presence. Without it, it's kind of empty and meaningless. Now, you know me well enough to know, those of you who've been around very long, that I'm not about counting numbers or filling up pews or chairs or whatever. I'm not about going out and pleading people to come to church. I'm not about that. A New Testament's not about that. You don't find, you don't find that in the book of Acts when we're talking about people going out and get people to come to church. That does not exist in the book of Acts. It doesn't. Isn't that amazing? But the church came together, experienced the presence of God, were taught the Word of God, went out into the communities demonstrating the power of God and exemplifying what it meant to be a Christ follower, brought people with them or talked to people and those people's lives were changed and then they began together. They began together. Now there's nothing wrong with going out and inviting someone to come worship with you on Sunday morning. That's fine. It might give an opportunity for them to really respond to the word. We haven't been called to go out and invite people to attend church. We've been called to go out and share the word, share the gospel, and love people, care for them. In the process of that, it's good to have a way that you can connect them with the other members of the body. Now, I'm thankful that we have the, the, the ability, the technology in this day for us to be able to speak to people around the world, that this message goes literally around the world. I'm thankful that people, uh, people who uh, are part of this body and people who are not, who live in other places, I know of, of, of places throughout the United States, overseas, that go online with us from time to time. They're with us in worship. And it's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. And there are those who just can't get out. Their circumstance keeps them from being able to get out and be with the people in worship very often. So they have this avenue. They have this vehicle. They have this way to kind of connect with the family here. That's good. That's a good thing. But listen now, 
nothing takes the place of being here. Nothing takes the place of being here. Because when we are here, it opens up the way for God to come demonstrate for him to come in such a way that we experience his presence. My, how I want us to get to a place, God's not running from us, but we need to move in such a way to pursue his presence. That God's presence is important to us. That experiencing his presence, now I'm not talking about getting off into really weird, crazy stuff. There's some of that that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the Lord, but there's, there's some of it that does. God wants you to have a real sense of his presence. I don't know how that's going to show up in us individually exactly, and I don't know exactly how that's going to show up in this church. But I have an idea that more and more and more as we grow in this, we're going to see and experience and know that the Holy Spirit is present in a powerful and manifested way when we come together, that will reach out and draw those in need to Him, that will reach out in love to those that are hurting, that will reach out as a, and let people know that He's the healer and He's the helper and He's the source. And when people come here and experience that presence, they don't necessarily have to come down here and pray, but right in the middle of worship time, God will encounter them and His presence will be there, real in their life. It's about his word. It's not about feelings. I understand that. It's about following what he says. It's about faith in his word, not our circumstances or emotions. I believe that. But he's alive and he demonstrates his presence today. He wants his church to see him. He wants us to see who we really are. And he wants us to know just how good he is for any situation you're facing. Oh, God. In the book of Exodus, Moses said, God told him to, gave him his marching orders. And Moses said, Lord, if you don't go, I'm not going. If your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. You know, we don't want to have church without his presence. We don't want to worship empty and formalistic without his presence. We don't want to do anything without an awareness of his presence. I like how um, what Robert Morris does in the <clears throat> church there in Gateway. And... Uh, I don't, I don't know, have any idea that we'll do this. They, just because one church does it doesn't mean that, you know, there are different ways to experience this. I think every Sunday morning is a great time to experience this. But oftentimes on Sunday morning, you're so limited in time, and you're kind of going through the things we go through on Sunday morning. That in, the, in, in that, and that, that's okay. That's all right. But there's just some times when you need to linger a little longer. There's just some times when you need to wait a little longer. So what they've done is one Sunday a month, regardless of all their campuses, they invite people to come one Sunday night a month and, and what they call it is, is habitation. Right? And he says, 
he says, the visitation of God is not enough. We want the habitation of God. We want, because the Bible says he inhabits his presence. He inhabits the praises of his people. So they gather and they worship and they wait and they minister to one another and God speaks and God manifests himself in different ways. People get healed. People's lives are changed and no one preaches. No one. There may be someone that stands up and shares, but it's not your order of worship. It is a worship gathering that says, Lord, we're here to see you. We want to know you like never before. God give us that kind of hunger, right? Hunger and thirst after him. Lord, do it here. Do it in me. Do it here. Father, thank you for this time today. We want to know your will in this. We want to know your way. Lord, it's about, church is not about a place. Church is not about meeting. Church is not about a show. Church is about you. You're the head, we're the body. So Lord, we say you're in charge. We want your presence. We want your presence. Because your presence, an encounter with you, can absolutely change our lives, transform our lives in a moment, time, so quickly. Change can be accelerated in our lives. I pray that each one here this morning has that desire to know you in a deeper way, to experience that manifested presence, to be aware of you.